Welcome, reanimated fans, to this week's episode. Lots of news to talk about today, but we're going to be reviewing the first couple of episodes of Mayfair Witches, and this is based on um, Anne Rice's book series related to Lasher and the Mayfair Witches. And but ahead of that, we have like a ton of news for once to get into, which we've had a bit of dearth of news in the last few episodes. So I'm kind of excited that there's that much out there. And joining me, as always, is my intrepid co-host, Stuart Tiffin. Hello, Stuart. It's me. Yay. Hi, hi. I mean, I think we should should probably dive into to some of the, the new stuff. Um, anything new on the West Coast for you? Let me just preface this news by saying it's not not a lot of it is about, like, cool new projects, which is our favorite kind of news. Um, but it's at least people talking about zombies on the Internet, which is something we're always on the lookout for. We have actually just a ton of news and some of it about a couple of shows that we have talked about uh the the forbes article specifically about <laughs> fear the walking dead made me laugh out loud while reading it i don't know how you felt Stuart, but it was like wow um yeah. but before we get into that specific article uh there there's um um new webisode new webisodes which are more tales of the walking dead do you want to chat about that yeah so uh i mean my initial reaction to this was excitement followed by disappointment mm-hmm, um, same. because while they've done good webisodes in the past, it's been a long, long time since they've tried. And um, when, when you name something more tales from the walking dead, mm-hmm. I expect it to be another season of Channing Powell's show mm-hmm. run, the walking dead show tales, of the walking dead, I, which I really enjoyed. And so did you, as I recall, I did. Uh, and then it wasn't that it's going to be Scott Gimple helming some webisodes. And you know what? He has done this before and he's done a good job with them. And I'll give it a shot, of course, but I just was a little bit skeptical. And then, you know, I wanted more Channing Powell. Agree. Uh, I had the same feeling about this particular article and I was like, that's sort of an odd choice to anyway. Um but but let's see what happens with it. Um, but you know, uh, and and for for things we had a lot of hope for that just didn't really pan out. Um, Eric Kane really did a heck of a write up about Fear the Walking Dead, um, and I thought that the synopsis of a few of these seasons made me laugh. Some of them made me laugh so hard, but specifically, he mentions the walkie-talkie thing that drives us so crazy. <laughs> during this whole show which i was like yes somebody somebody i feel seen <laughs> so um it really is uh if you if you never wanted to watch the series and just wanted kind of a rundown of all the things that are wrong with it this is a really good way to do it i don't know and he um, starts in season four which is when the new showrunners took over yep and then just goes through it i mean some some of his criticism is usually is, is off base and yeah 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 you know whatever uh, nobody's perfect but he definitely sums up some of the things that also H A and I had issues with at the time, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah so Eric Kane the the headline of this article was you know the worst show on TV has one more chance to change our minds before it's gone for good and I think I think that might be over. I don't know when when does season eight? I guess season eight is what he's referring to. Yep. Uh, and I've been getting a lot of ads for Kim Dickens doing things, which mm-hmm. does tug at my heartstrings just a tiny bit. But I'm sorry, I no. Well, I have to say uh, the way that they they killed her off on the show in the first place seemed very upsetting and awful, and so. I'll admit that when they they said that they were going to bring her back, there was part of me that felt like really happy for her because like this was a thing that she believed really strongly in. Her character being killed off was something she wasn't anticipating, and it was clearly pretty upsetting overall. And this was, and I, again, that was like the point where we were like, "Wow, that was just like a really poor decision." And things just kept going more and more off the rails after that. Um, and so I didn't know how they were going to handle the whole thing and they handled it kind of exactly how I would anticipate in a bad way <laughs> them handling it based on all the things that have happened with the show. So 
I don't know. I still haven't really gone back to the to watch it from the point you and I left off. Um, no, I don't know if I. I can. And where was was that season seven? Did we stop or season? I think so. It, it might even been season six. I don't even remember at this point. But it was just enough. Enough. Yeah. Um. So anyway, um. You know, uh, I will say there was a little sweet shout out to to Garrett Del Hunt and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that was uh, Del Hunt, which was like. You know, he was such a bright spot on the show, and it was almost like you know when he said "I'm out," <laughs> it kind of made me feel the same way that we should get out. Um, but anyway, um, I don't know. Maybe we will be desperate enough to try it at one point. We've threatened it before, so. But I don't know. I don't think I could do it episode by episode if we were to do that. I think we'd have to do like a binge watch and then a full like. God, that sounds uh, painful. Yeah, but it's so painful. I don't think I could do episode by episode. So, um, well, speaking of trying to make things better, not that anybody necessarily is over at Fear of the Walking Dead. Mm-hmm. Um, Neil Druckmann was recently interviewed on a podcast, uh, yeah. kind of funny, kind of funny is the last of a spoiler cast. Uh, Neil Druckmann did an interview where he said that season two is going to have more infected. Uh, and then the article goes on to talk about scenes in the game, uh, the, the the second game of The Last of Us, that did involve large um, herds or, or large collections of the of the infected. So there, you know, there's very little here on detail, but I think at least we were all of the opinion that there could have been some more infected, especially in the second half of the season of the first um, of The Last of Us, right? So. I'm glad to hear that they're at least thinking that their show could have used some more zombies too. Yeah. And I mean, I also think that some of this was, you know, there was a few reasons why I think they, they didn't do it. I also think even though they're not saying it totally, part of it was like the COVID restrictions and all the things that they had to do to get this made in the first place. Um, and you can kind of see where decisions were made. Okay. We're going to do this big, the big scene where they all come out of the, you know, the the ground and stuff like that. Um, like there are very specific spots where they're, you know, it was like, okay, this is probably like a big zombie day or whatever, and or a big cordyceps day. And so I would look forward to seeing what they do next. And I wonder if with those restrictions off their, their hands are less tied as well. Also remember they, you know, those things cost a lot of money from a budget point of view, and you have to kind of choose what you're going to do, um, with that budget. So, uh, it doesn't shock me because I think that that was probably one of the biggest criticisms they heard from fans was just the lack um, of zombies. But um, I'm, as always, excited to see uh, a second season and, you know, my fave, uh, Pedro Pascal, continuing on, <laughs> maybe. <laughs> so we'll we'll have to take it from there. Mm-hmm. Um but things that also don't appear a lot or are missing or things that in this this particular article, um, I don't know. There, there's there been a few things that, you know, we've talked about um, in the past and we're like, OK, and that project's coming out and then suddenly it disappears. And this is one where I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot about that. So I'll admit I forgot that this was even supposed to happen. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, wait, that was supposed to happen like last year. But yeah. um, the redo of Salem's Lot or the re the reimagining of Salem's Lot, they had really um, been pushing this hard at a lot of the conferences. And it was supposed to come out last year, I think. And they keep pushing it. And then in the lineup, it has also disappeared. So that doesn't often bode well about what's going to happen. And the last I think everybody had heard about this was that it got um, a pretty... Um, it got the the bad rate the MPAA rating or something like the the rating was not favorable, um, and so maybe they were re-editing or whatever to try to take care of that. Um, but for the moment, it is nowhere to be seen in terms of like release date or anything. It's just kind of like in the ether now. So, what do you think about that, Stuart? This is just annoying that the movie business can be so untransparent, so opaque. Uh, so it's frustrating. And and I, I've mentioned this a couple of times now. There are two zombie movies that are in the can. Uh, Last Train from New York mm-hmm. and Salem's Lot. Well, that's not, it's not a zombie movie. I know it's a vampire yeah, movie. Only the still, yeah, but... And they are nowhere to be seen. And I'm just concerned that this is um, studio, not studios, or, but publishers 
uh, maybe pulling a um, Batgirl on us mm -hmm. and cutting their, uh, you know, cutting their tax implications by maybe just making these movies disappear. Yeah, and that would that would be a shame. That really would be a shame. Um, but in things that appeared that we didn't have on our radar or forgot or just didn't. How? I, I just don't know how I missed this one. How is this like possible? So I feel like we talked about this way back when, when this was just sort of, you We know, knew that it was being made into a show. I feel yeah, like as soon as the last book came out, they were, yeah, they were yeah, talking yeah. about it being a script. But um, we're talking what, about Silo, which was a trilogy of novels by Hugh. Say it with me. I don't remember how to, is it Howley or Howie? I think it's uh, Howie. Um, Howley is also just like gringo in Hawaiian. So I feel weird saying that. <laughs> um yeah. it, it but but this is from the howie it's howie okay howie um, you howie yeah um but this is the wool trilogy and so that was um a group of books that um actually kind of similar to um the the martian series it was um it, it basically it started as sort of a short story and then you know, kind of did. Oh, okay. This is this. This has teeth. This has something that's kind of stick. It it resonated with people, mm -hmm. and so other things kind of. Uh, these were all like ebooks, I think, that were then added into like the sort of novellas that added in to it. Um. So and then there was like a graphic novel, but a really cool book and a cool concept for, um, you know, a world, this dystopian world. And so this is a series coming out on Apple TV very soon, next week, in fact, um, called Silo. So soon. And it's it's starring uh, one of my faves, uh, Rebecca Ferguson. Tim um, Robbins. Yep. Um, it's also got um, uh, it, it's got a pretty star studded cast overall. Um, so I'm very excited it was it's almost like like oh i didn't even know this was coming out um i mean so, this is the best kind of uh shock yeah. to have is like holy crap silo got made oh and it's coming out next week that's yeah. great so yeah i think this is uh very exciting news yeah i'm pretty i'm pretty thrilled about this so that's gonna be um that is gonna i'm very except excited to watch this uh, with you and and or watch this and then you know go over it with you but um and then they really have just like i mean rashida jones is in this common is in this i was very excited to see common in the yeah he's he's good at stuff like this um but overall just an insane cast generally mm -hmm. um so this is pretty pretty cool um so can't wait to talk about this next um so we will maybe we would let it go a couple episodes and then get into it. But, you know, it looks amazing and the trailer looks pretty incredible. So definitely excited about that. Um, Might have to reread it. What? Might have to reread it. Yeah, it's pretty quick, though. They're pretty easy to read. Yeah. So I'm gonna, I'll probably do the same. Um, and then, you know other other our favorite shows out recently mandalorian just just is wrapped for the moment um but pedro pascal is everywhere um it's it's, it's kind of incredible like last of us started at the beginning of the year went through the end of march right give or take mm -hmm. then he was in mandalorian well i mean we all know that he's not actually in mandalorian that much but he was voiced yeah. on mandalorian and then that ends and now there's like uh, ethan hawk Pedro Pascal gay western yeah dropping and what <laughs> that's crazy yeah, and it's also like seems a little absurdist like it's a very odd aesthetic and the trailer seems a little crazy too yeah um so you know um yeah uh, we we shall see what happens here but even the costuming and everything else seems a little a little odd so um yeah so I guess we'll see this. I I only worry that um, that Pedro Pascal is going to burn out a little bit. He's or, or he'll be overexposed, maybe. Yeah, I, it just makes me worry. I mean, he's so charming. I doubt he could be overexposed, but I do worry about burnout because this is a lot of projects. Um, but yeah, but maybe like it's that thing where you got to make hay while the sun shines when, when you're in the when you're in that uh, position. 
Um, but what I do this... really like about him is that he picks, you know, he has these huge blockbusters, so then he picks these other things that are a little bit uh, off the beaten path, uh, so to speak. And yeah. um, this looks pretty. This looks pretty cool. So I'm gonna probably I'm gonna check this out. Absolutely. It's gonna be. It's called Strange Way of Life. I don't remember where it's coming out or how. Is it a, in the theaters or a streamer? But um, it, there's a YouTube trailer out there. I'm sure we can get more information. Well, and this is, um, I think it's like, um, it's not a very long film. Um, oh, it was, okay, there's no premiere date, but it was at Cannes. So it looks like it'll be a theater release, I imagine. Uh, it's only going to be released in Spanish theaters in late May. And then it gets released in other places, but not in the U.S. Um, for a bit. So we'll have to see what happens in terms of that date, right? Spanish theaters. I know. Interesting. So. Interesting. So we are. Oh, God. Yeah. Sorry. I just realized that Fear the Walking Dead comes out. Season eight starts on May 14th. Mm. For all the good that'll do us. Um, And then the uh, the last piece of news is that there is a uh, Internet rumor going around based on a prop that was in one of the final scenes of the last season of The Mandalorian. Uh, and, you know, if you don't want to hear spoilers, earmuffs, but um, basically Mando and Grogu uh, go to a bar in the New Republic and talk to Carson Tiva, a.k.a. Mr. Kim from Kim's Convenience, and uh, ask to be like basically New Republic bounty hunters, <laughs> which I think is a pretty cool resolution. And H.A., I'm sorry, am I spoiling this for you? Did you have you seen it? No, it's oh. all good. Okay. Uh, but in the bar, um, and Grogu's kind of like obsessing about this uh, IG, you know, assassin droid head that's mounted on the wall, sort of, or above the bar. Next to that is a stormtrooper helmet with three large slashes down the front of it. And people have apparently taken that and freaked out, thinking that this is a reference to Project Blackwing, Mm-hmm. AKA the Death Troopers novel. Um, so, AKA the zombie Star Wars thing. Zombie Star Wars, right. So, folks on the internet are starting to freak out that there are, that there is at least a way forward, maybe in the Ahsoka show that's coming up later this year, uh, that will dabble and open up that can of worms, which could be fun. It's those, those, the, there's a couple of novels out there that, um, go into this they're not canon anymore they were always part of the expanded universe which disney i think rejected once they bought yeah, lucas arts so we'll see what happens here um but maybe they just put it in to freak people out I'm just say <laughs> yeah or it's just like a helmet with some scratches on it like it's it's to me it's not at all a smoking gun uh but you know if people freak out on the internet enough sometimes creators will make it happen and maybe dave filoni's a zombie fan who knows could be put it past him uh and that's the end of the news but ha would you be super pumped for star wars zombies or are you just over over star wars totally but i would you know very much want it to involve pedro pascal which you know (laughs) um yeah so you're like on the one hand i don't want him to get burned out on the other hand i need him to be in everything kind of um but you know <laughs> it's a hard problem to have i know yeah, i know yeah um but with that um sadly he is not in mayfair witches or maybe good that he is not in mayfair witches but um do you are you ready to jump into our recap sort of review of the first couple episodes pedro pascal as lasher just imagine. I think he'd be all right as Lasher. Actually, I think he but... could do it as long as yeah. Lasher somehow like had a mustache suddenly. But suddenly. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but what we are talking about, of course, is the the next in the sort of Anne Rice series that seems to be coming out uh, recently. We we reviewed the you know the vampire, uh, the Jew the vampire first season and so this is sort of this there's a lot going on with Anne Rice and I can only surmise I mean she was alive when they were starting some of these productions but um this one specifically I have to wonder uh I I definitely have to question some of the decisions so so we can get into that but um it's got 
you know, a pretty, uh, pretty amazing cast. Um, so I can't, you know, fault it for that. Um, but did you ever read, did you reread the books or read the books? And again, I need to reread these, uh, these books stuck with me more than the vampire books did. I don't know why. Um, but I, I remember really enjoying this first one, the witching hour, which was the the novel, and that's the name of this episode, um, where you where you're introduced to this, these events that are happening in these episodes. Yeah. They, I feel like they were good books. They they kind of un. It's like this conspiracy sort of, uh, but also ancient history and and it's fantastic. It's good writing. It was really good writing. Yeah, it's very much the gothic novel, and there's just you know, this the sort of. Um, history of this specific family and it involves all these crazy things like uh, bloodlines and uh, supernatural like um, sort of events tied to one specific thing and um, a lot of intrigue and and you know hidden secrets and things like that Um, and it is you know I think that it was an incredibly like uh dark (laughs) kind of a series and like many things it went off the rails a little bit but i do this first book what i thought was pretty pretty good um and so i have not reread it in a while though i do remember some of the like she's got like a lot of themes of incest throughout this particular series which they seem to be shying away from her at least at this point they have not mentioned that um but we shall talk about that a little bit more i feel Um, like there's enough references or at least opportunities for it to have happened that yeah they don't maybe need it yeah absolutely so yeah they're just kind of they don't need to say it blatantly or maybe it'll come up later um But yeah, so far, Uncle Cortland is extremely suspect. Let's just oh, put yeah, it that way. Which he is in the books, too, which I thought was great. Um, yeah. so, and he's played by Harry Hamlin. Um, the main character, Rowan, is played by Alexandra Daddario, who I think most people probably know from White Lotus, the first season. She's like the um, bride, the newlywed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then um, Jack Houston is Lasher. Let's talk about this casting decision and then um, (laughs) let's talk about it right now. Let's not move on. Let's stay right there. So Uh, Lasher is sort of like the main antagonist in terms of like he is sort of this supernatural being. I think that. okay, so I'm not going to like. So. I think that this actor is doing the best that they can. (laughs) Jack Jack's doing the best he can. Um, But it's the whole point and the thing that I feel is missing, at least for me from these first couple episodes and specifically really related to this character. One thing that I thought that the books did an incredible job doing was building this um, mystery surrounding this character building uh, like, because there's so much that you don't know about him. And there's also a man, you can't decide whether he's menacing, whether he's good, whether he's evil. Um, He's definitely like, of character that you have a lot of different um sort of perspectives on depending on who is talking about him you know so there is and there's definitely a lot of dark things related to thing to events that happen surrounding him and his relationship to the women in this family um i did not think like when he appeared i was like oh that is definitely not what i would have pictured him looking like (laughs) so um there is a lot that he's like tall and thin and like has these like crazy cheekbones and this was not what i had pictured um but i'm always pretty flexible in terms of these kinds of things um and i can't tell like it just feels like the way this is written it took a lot of the mystery out of it um he's too almost too present i don't know how you felt about it Stuart. yeah okay yeah i could see that too present uh, and i i guess i wasn't not having read the books in many years i wasn't sure how to expect lasher to be represented i kind of felt like yeah he was more of an ethereal figure early on um I mean, I'm glad that the ghost dildo scene makes it into the second episode that we're talking about today, yep. because I was like that that I remember yep. <laughs> not exactly maybe how it went down. 
but yeah so lasher has like ethereal qualities as i in my memory uh in this show he seems very flesh and blood uh although he can like kind of appear and disappear at will um i will say jack houston i have fond uh uh, feelings for because he played Richard Harrow in Boardwalk Empire, which was a um, a, an inter- very interesting role. He was like a disfigured assassin, uh, mafia hitman, gangster. Um, and he did a great job in that role, but he didn't have to emote all that much. Mm. Uh, so I, I guess I'll, I'll say I, I, my my jury is still out. I, I, I don't know exactly how I would have approached this, but obviously they're going to have to change things because of how well and and a lot of how they describe him is almost like he is very well quaffed and like uh in the books and Mm -hmm. he is like impeccably dressed and the hair decision here i was like "Mm, the long hair yeah i don't know that lasher is supposed to look like unshaven and like he's supposed to be incredible almost like um almost too perfect um, is sort of what how he's described because basically he's this supernatural being trying to manifest as this, uh, like as a human. Mm-hmm. And so it was sort of surprising to me, um, you know, that this was sort of the way they went. Um, it's no slam on him, honestly. Like, I just think that this is how they decided to go with it. And um, in general, like, he's supposed to only have one outfit. Like, he's supposed to be in this brown suit. Like, that's always how he appears, which, you know, sort of over the years manifests into other stuff. The fact that he wears different things was, like, kind of weird to me because part of it, again, is that he's trying to pretend he's human. And so this is sort of the outfit that he has come up with <laughs> over time. So I thought that was a little bit weird that they made that decision. Um, a bigger thing, though, in terms of, like, how they sort of, push this story along how they decide to tell the story is that they removed some very significant characters and kind of combine them. And one of these I'm like fine with, um, but the other one seems really weird. And they also like combine their like superpowers or whatever. But I remember that character- Rowan in the, in the book was like dating a guy who restored houses or something. Yes. Yeah, so one of the characters the main- who's gone. Yes. Yes, yeah, so this is a main character in the book, in fact, and yeah. it's a pretty I don't know what they're how they're gonna go, how they're gonna sort of change this, but he there's a very significant reason why he and Rowan come into contact with each other, and it has to do with Lasher. And he is like his powers are kind of what they make um the character of Cyprian Grieve. Grieve. I like that name. Can't hard can't fault them on the name. I also love this actor who plays Cyprian Grieve. Um, but that character is also supposed to be named Aaron Leitner. Um, mm-hmm. It's like the main proponent of the Talmasca. He's a huge, significant role in the book series and in also in the the Vampire um, Chronicles. So I, I'm not sure where they're going with it, um, but I love this character. And so maybe they just felt like there were too many sort of... The, too many the- Talamascas? Yeah, it was Michael Cur- It was Michael Curry also a Talamasca guy? No, no, he's his own kind of thing, and um, uh. both. And the thing is, both he and and the rowing character are looking for a little bit of who they are, but a little bit of like you know, um, and it's all sort of related to Lasher and New Orleans and things like that. But he's he's a bit of the catalyst for why she goes back to New Orleans. I mean, her you know, and her family and, and things, and she doesn't know anything about that. And he's from there. And there's like there's like all these like weird little connections. And again, maybe they thought it was too complicated and busy to do it that way. I don't see a problem with how they did this, but there's a significant piece with him missing that I'm just not sure. I have an idea what they're gonna do, but like, um. It, there, there's a whole reason for this, which is pretty dark. <laughs> so, um, so I was sort of surprised to see that particular uh, edit. Um, and I do, having read a few of the the sort of like fan reactions of the books, like people are pretty upset about that edit. Um, hmm. Everybody really does seem to like Cyprian Grieve, though, and that is a great character. And he is, you know, he to me embodies sort of what the Talamasca is, and he does he plays his character really well. Um, He's so- super um, empath, like sympathetic as yes. a Talamasca. You don't think of them as like a, a scary organization with him as your right. primary point of contact. Yeah. And he is sort of strained from that. And he's played uh, by Tungay, uh Teresa. And he is like, 
and even in the in the books, Aaron Leitner, who's the character that is supposed to be the Supreme Grief character, um, he's straying from what the Talamasca has basically said. And they're a little bit of the Star Trek viewpoint, which is like, do not interfere. Yeah. They yeah. only observe. Um, they're not supposed to really be involved um, with their quote unquote subjects um, or the things that they're observing. Um, and in part with this specific family, it's because of how dangerous they are. Um, and so that's part of why they have those roles. I guess they don't always have that. Aaron Leitner in, in, as a character in the, this universe and in the Vampire Chronicles consistently um, uh, thwarts this uh, <laughs> directive. So, um, and Supreme Grieve is no, uh, no exception to this in, in terms of this. Yeah. In the um, second episode that we were looking at today, he, I was surprised, honestly, that he's like, Hey, don't, when she calls him out, he's like, Hey, yeah, it's me. Don't worry. I'm going to tell you everything. Yep. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the scene doesn't play out exactly that way, but uh, I think they're still going to be eking it out a little. But he was really eager to tell her everything he knew. I thought that yeah, was and pretty quickly, even though like he calls up there like, don't do it. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, I'm going to do it. I'm um, doing it anyway. Uh, um, yeah. Also, also incredible casting. Uh, in addition to Harry Hamlin, in terms of the Mayfair family, Beth Grant is Carlotta Mayfair. And as she is a know, very I recognizable person. I am a huge fan of of Beth Grant. Um, what else? I mean, I'm sure she's been in a ton of things, but can you do you have any other ones? OK, well, one of my favorite roles that she's in is as uh, Kitty uh, in Donnie Darko, Kitty Farmer, where she's like, you know, she says to, you know, the other mother, she was like, you know, I'm beginning to doubt your dedication to sparkle motion or something like that, like because of the kids dance troupe and whatever. She's pretty incredible in that. Um, she's been in so many other things, but she yeah. was in um, um, No Country for Old Men. Um, I'm trying to think of other things that she was in. But and just look uh, at her filmography and television. She does a she does like four projects every year. Yeah, so she could be the Pedro Pascal of like character actors. Honestly, <laughs> yeah, she's really. Real. I mean, she's just very and not just like I mean, in addition to um, to um films she's also in a bunch of series she was in um a lot a couple of the brian fuller the um pushing daisies and i think wonderfalls um and she's got like kind of similar characters in those but she's like just a fantastic character actor um and i just think she's awesome uh so i highly recommend um you know uh the Every, everybody check her out and become a fan like me um, but she plays this main character to this is like she plays Carlotta Mayfair which is a pretty powerful and significant character in the in the book series and I feel like she really nailed it um, and then like I feel like she and ha Harry Hamlin were cast perfectly in these roles and they're sort of these opposing siblings that took exactly the opposite uh, tack uh, in terms of how to deal with the supernatural nature of their families um, and specifically their dealings with Lasher. So I thought that that was pretty cool. Um, also, what about Annabeth Gish? Uh, she is amazing and she's perfect. She plays the older version of Deirdre Mayfair. And she, the only thing I think that is not perfect, and this isn't about casting, it's more about costume. Maybe it's about casting is that they put these blue contacts in, in her eyes that make her look really weird. And same yeah, with the younger agreed. version of Deirdre. She, that, that girl, woman, also yep. does not apparently have blue eyes. And they they contacted her up. And then she has, like, I think they put them in weird. So that it looks like sometimes she has the walleye thing yep. effect. And I'm just like, Come on, guys, like, this shouldn't be this hard in it's 2023. Yeah. Let's... Let's get the blue um, eyes right. I also right. feel like um, they, they, all the one, all the people who are wearing the contacts feel like they are having a problem with them. So I think Alexandra Daddario is also wearing contacts, and it, it it's no, those are her real eyes. I are those I her real eyes? Well, yeah. for all, like I will tell you, Annabeth Gish looks like those things are bothering her. So there's that. Well, she um, also can't blink in many of her scenes in these episodes. And that had to be kind of painful. Um, the, the other thing that I didn't necessarily like about this is that just somebody who has been um, the character of Deirdre Mayfair is supposed to be like wheelchair bound and 
She's under like the, the she's been drugged up and on Thorazine for. She's many been in a wheelchair for how many like decades, yeah, and she, she bounces up walk. out of that thing. Yeah, but you would. know, Lasher says that I'll give you the strength yeah, like so later, so they kind of hand wave that a little bit. Maybe, maybe, but um, but I think she's great. Also, um, Erica Gimple as uh, Ellie Fielding, I think, is awesome. Um, and she's like a Mayfair as well, and I thought she. I think she's just phenomenal. So the cast of this is just like insanely good and strong. Um, I feel like some of the storytelling is a little weak, but you know, maybe I will feel differently as this goes on and maybe I will buy into some of the, some of the storytelling decisions they have made. Um, so, um, but yeah, I mean, I think that um, they do a pretty good job of sort of the time jumps that they do. Um, so they're jumping between Deirdre's story and Rowan's story. Yeah. Um, so we, we, it's both about Rowan's, um, inception, but also Deirdre's situation, which is incredibly tragic and, and gothic, quite frankly. Do you feel like um, the, the year is going to matter much because Anne Rice wrote this at a specific time, set at a specific time so that the, I feel like in the books, the number of generations since, like the vampire Lestat stuff, it, mm -hmm. it, it was more, it was quite specific. Of course, they've changed the, the timeline of the vampire Lestat yeah. also. Yep. Um, but now they're like Alexandra Dadari or uh, Rowan is in like present day San Francisco, not San yep. Francisco when this book was written, which was what in the 80s, 90s? Yep. Yep. And I think, look, I think it makes sense. Um, I don't think it's going to make that much of a difference. Um, and similar to the, you know, the, um the vampire chronicles like the things that they are doing there um i don't think it will matter that much and i think that there's probably a good reason for doing it um but i i yeah i think that's probably something that will be fine um and they maybe had to just switch a few things um and they definitely i mean there's a couple specifically um she gets into cyprian Greaves' phone and it's like she she unlocks it just putting it in front of his unconscious face so that was one specific thing it's like well mm. definitely a modern day um so yeah. yeah um but i you know you I ever tried to it, unlock your phone with your eyes closed no it, i don't think it works actually no. <laughs> unless he does that unless he, that's how we set it up yeah so. <laughs> which maybe he did but yes i agree that uh it's definitely present day which means that you know, when Elena takes her as her adopted child, this is only like 1996, maybe, <laughs> or later. Uh, well, so 91 is when the adoption supposedly took place. Oh, that's right. 91. Yep. You did say that. Uh, or they said that in the show. Yeah. Um, which means that Rowan is, I don't know, is she 32? Yeah, something like that. Um, and I also think that they handle this sort of, um, and this is semi-humorous, but like, her not humorous but like she's very upset because she's kind of learning that she has this this specific power which is really disturbing because it's like if she gets upset somebody has like a stroke basically um and yeah. like like there is a that is from the book um and there's like a whole thing when she's younger and she basically takes out a toddler uh or a contemporary on the playground and um then as she's older um, when people are being particularly when she gets really upset, uh, she she almost does it to the chief of surgery, um, who's overseeing her and he's being a misogynist ass. But um, more to, more to the point, when she is trying to basically get her mother into this um trial for for cancer, she takes out the the main guy, which is kind of ironic because uh, basically he's he's trying to get her to take somebody off the list for this particular experimental trial so that her mother can get in. And he's basically saying, do you have the killer instinct? And she's like, no, I don't. And then she gets really mad and kills him. <laughs> so, yes, I guess she did. I guess she did um, all the time. But, um, he, you know, she she goes she kind of becomes this like avenging angel of misogyny or against it yeah. um and and it's kind of some well, it's some good fulfillment of what you want to see happen to these jerks but at the same time she's a doctor mm -hmm. uh, and the, her first conversation she has with um the other woman and the uh, uh, as they're good coming out of surgery is like it doesn't help if i lose my patients uh or if i get mad because that doesn't help my patients in the hospital right. um 
so she goes very quickly from that to suddenly she cannot hold her temper and she is constantly killing everybody around her well and it's not that she's not upset about it because she is but the the part that i thought was like funny is like after after she uh like you know comes out to see you know she's had a conversation because um basically you know she's she's grieving because her mother dies and and rightly so they take her off the hospital schedule because but of of course it's the the doctor she almost killed before dr keck i felt Um, like he was being a little nicer well he was i mean near death will do that to you but he basically was like look you you gotta go and see somebody just to make sure everything's okay um and she does and in the midst of that almost like kills the therapist and so she runs out to the parking lot and notices that her car is covered in bird crap and and then she like accidentally I, it's definitely like she's losing control a little bit but she kills the birds and and then she hides them in her car which and I then love. goes and buries them in the beach uh, this yeah. is episode the second episode um yep. where this is going on but yeah that like clearly she has no control over her emotions no. No, like, and, and it's her emotions that are triggering the the superpower, but like it's just disturbing that a character would suddenly become this emotionally unstable. But I guess you know the death of your mother might do that to you. Well, right, and that's her anchor, and she doesn't really have like they make this very clear. Like she does not have anybody other than her mother, um, and that is a little bit of a change. Um, it's pretty dark in the books, but her. Um, her adoptive father actually like sleeps with her at some point, which is really messed up. Um, but, uh, but he is nowhere to be found. So that's another edit that they have made um, unless they come back to that later, but I don't think they will. Um, they basically have Ellie as a single mom raising her mm-hmm. um, just the two of them. And Ellie has, because of the deal she made with Carlotta in order to adopt Rowan, Rowan has no knowledge of her, um, of her birth parents of where she came from and that is the same as in the books and most of that is to protect rowan from the family and and definitely from lasher um which it's kind of interesting because there is mystery about this about lasher and how his powers work and how he is connected with his family and so i i mean there is some genetic tie there's also like a maternal tie to him um and the one piece that I was really a little, again, a little puzzled by, they made this decision. Um, the necklace that Deirdre is wearing in this whole thing, and that supposedly is like the link to his power. Um, in the books, it's a pretty, it's it, it's just a significant change from what is in the books. It's supposed to be this massive emerald. And the whole thing is that it's on her neck. It's a little bit out of place um, for Deirdre anyway. And that nobody dares touch it because it's related to Lasher and that bad things happen to people who try to take it off her neck. Mm. Um, So, uh, you know, so there's that whole thing. It's weird that they made it into this sort of less significant, obvious um, necklace. It's like a key with just like a little emerald on it. Um, So I was kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Um, Because there's this whole sort of theme in the books where this thing is on her neck. She sits on the porch and you know, people have tried to steal it and then bad things happen to them because Lasher stops them. Um, but, you know, there is this whole thing with the family where they don't really seem to understand that it seems like Lasher's, like, grasp is pretty far and wide. Like, he's pretty powerful just because they put her on the West Coast with no knowledge of him doesn't necessarily mean anything. So, and and clearly it doesn't, as we see. Um, well, I, I, this is a question that I have. I think this, fa- I mean, in my faint, foggy memory, this family has power aside from Lasher. This is a family of witches who yep. have had power and it hasn't always been associated with him, right? Yeah, so they have power, but it's not like, and a lot of it's sort of built with their, and, and certain members of the family, the ones who have more of a significant connection to him, have more power so yeah. Portland and Carlotta both have some connection with him the other character that they don't mention which maybe they'll get to is Julius and Julius is sort of like um the the he was like the male witch in the in the lineage um Cortland is kind of there but more of a pawn and maybe they've combined him and Julius which is what they kind of or Julian rather which is what they um what I think they may be doing here um but um, but they've also amassed an enormous amount of wealth. Um, 
but it all the root of it is yes some significant power that they have but he is the main sort of proponent um and all of it is to just sort of continue their line going so that he can ultimately get what he wants um though a lot of people just don't have understanding about what he is um so yeah so i think that they're making it you know there's some power on their own end some like built-in genetic something or other um when we see a little bit of this they do a way way back flashback to scotland which is his origin and their the mayfair like family origin um but we haven't gotten fully into that story yet right so, nope, just one hand job in the woods and yep. uh and some naming some herbs and some ravens whispering suzanne and there you go um but um yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of play with this. Um, but again, like the sort of portrayal, seeing Lasher so much in this was like he's a little bit like the shark in Jaws in the books where you get little tidbits about what he is or what he might be, but nobody really knows. And that kind of increases the the drama and the suspense. And so I feel almost like they've shown him a little bit too much. Um, and they show specifically things that he's doing and influencing and the biggest thing i'm thinking of they're showing the um inception of rowan here and he can he can um inhabit people's bodies and um he's definitely like his they're showing this very early on in the series and they don't really show this until much later in the books like you you get little glimpses of him and then they fill in the story as it goes and so i think they're probably trying to move it along because there is a significant um, there's so much to tell in the story. And so I think they're trying to compress it a lot, but yeah. We'll um, how many episodes does this season have? It has eight. So they don't have a lot to do or a lot of right. time. Um, but even with this whole, like, you know, the calling it the witching hour, that's sort of like, you know, that's the first book. So maybe they're just trying to like, get all that out of the way and move along um, to see what happens. I don't know. Were there any other scenes that stuck out to you? Um, poor Max, the bartender. Don't so care I about Max. felt like they were trying to, he's got the vibe. I mean, they were, there's a, this whole thing about Rowan where she doesn't really want to be in relationships because of the control that she's had to kind of exert upon herself she doesn't really like attachments. Um, so she kind of makes her way, as they say, through through um like she has a very specific attraction to like firemen and like bartenders and like things like that. And so I think they've tried to sort of do that here. And maybe they're even trying to give him them and Michael Curry is supposed to have like because he's like a, a builder and whatever. And so they're trying to sort of link that in. Maybe this is the character that they're doing that with. Um but, you know, he gives her this, like, kind of heartfelt, like, he really likes her or whatever. And she's like, oh, yeah, that's great. But I can't be that for you. <laughs> Just kind of, like, moves along. Um, and so I don't I'm assuming he's going to have to make some kind of a reappearance unless that was just a little cameo. It felt like they were building that into something else. But yeah, but now she's not even in San Francisco, not even there. Um, and then, you know, again, like. It was renewed for season two, which I'm kind of surprised based on some of the reviews I was seeing. Again, I, I kind of limited it to the first couple episodes, so I didn't see too much. But, um, you know, I think that uh, there's there's just a lot to tell and it's a very complex story. So maybe maybe we'll see if they we'll, bring that guy back in. We'll have to see. Um, what was your what was your overall feeling? Um, I'm curious how the telemasca knows that lasher is on the move at the end of episode one yeah they don't really get into that right uh suddenly he's you know we know why it's because the doctor took the necklace off deirdre mm -hmm. the doctor also feels like either just like an innocently well-meaning guy uh because clearly he is doing the right thing for deirdre as long as she isn't attached to a, a vengeful or a, you know a potentially evil spirit mm -hmm. but um you know he's he's making moves and doing things that the uh, the family certainly doesn't want him to do, uh, but by taking the necklace off, apparently frees Lasher from the Thorazine prison that is Deirdre, uh, and so he's able to go and appear to Rowan on a boat in um, 
I can't believe that she's sleeping out on the open ocean yep. on, on that little boat. But, yep. you know, that's what she's doing. Maybe she's just in the bay somewhere, but still, like, that seems so dangerous. It does uh, seem really dangerous. And at the end of that episode, also, he, or toward the end of that episode, uh, with young Deirdre, Lasher appears to her and does, like, some um, Michael Jackson black or white face changes. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping he was going to, you know, spoilers, turn into a giant. <laughs> yeah, I didn't know what he was going to do there. Um, I also think that generally it's not a good idea to make a deal with a demon or a devil. Um, but yeah, she seems so trapped that I guess that seems like a good idea to her. Yeah, she is um, such a tragic story. She is. And, you know, I think that one of the biggest tragedies is that she doesn't fully realize or hasn't realized that he actually is the the entity that pushed her into some of the situations that she's in so you know her you know her aunt's trapping her in the house and not allowing her to do anything um and also her aunt in doing all of this is actually pushing her closer to the lasher and her intention is to kind of keep her from lasher but basically he becomes kind of the good guy at least in deirdre's mind because he allows her the little bit of freedom that she has and He's the one that suggests to her that she go out and um, go to her uncle Cortland's house for a party. And I mean, that's specifically something that he is pushing on her. He even says things to her like, oh, your mother used to always go and do this. And so you get some sense that he's always been there and in this kind of role um, where even though like Deirdre feels very powerless in her aunt's grasp, he gives her a certain amount of freedom and power or makes her feel um, like she can do these things. And this specific incident where she goes to her uncle's house is what leads to her being uh, pregnant with Rowan. And Lasher is, I think they make it pretty clear, um, at least to the extent that he can be, he's possessed this poor kid and impregnated her. They so. don't make that very clear. They, I mean, I was I half convinced I it was, was Cortland who was um, put on the mask. Like, you just don't really know... Because it seems very clear. What seems very clear is that what's her name? Deirdre has been drugged or something and she doesn't know what's going on. It's a little bit Rosemary's baby. Patrick Patrick changes from uh, Patrick to he's now suddenly he's wearing like a whole garb with claws and a mask. And you're like, that's pretty weird and um, disturbing. Yeah. (laughs) And then the body being carted away. She's convinced it's Patrick. Maybe we can be too, but you don't get to see who it is who's being carted away in the morning. And then Aunt Carlotta is there to collect her. And I think that's the last time she gets to go outside, uh, you know, effectively. And so then in the second episode, when she eventually and kind of gradually wakes up and then comes back to herself, goes to Cortland's house um, and then goes to the hotel because she sees through Lasher's eyes where Rowan is staying. Yeah. Um, Carlotta happens to be at the hotel having like a guild meeting and um, seems to still think that she can order Deirdre around. Now Deirdre's like 47 mm-hmm. or 40, whatever. And you're just like, I don't think um, you understand how the law works, Carlotta. Like you, you did this to her when she was a minor, presumably. Uh, but now that she is like awake you can't tell her to go home and stay there anymore Uh, but they don't even mention that like i think because deirdre is so uh has is probably still mentally a teenager because she's been asleep for 20 something years yeah and it's yeah uh and she seems very empowered she's like i'm gonna go see my daughter you've lied and all this other stuff um and then that ends you know in a very big tragedy just as she's about to to see rowan i thought Um, that was I was shocked by that. Again, I don't remember much of the plot of the book. Um, that is very I, new because the whole plot of the book is that Deirdre dies and that's why Rowan goes back to New Orleans because she right. gets contacted about it. But yeah, um, well, but, Deirdre yeah. dies. But she dies. <laughs> Deirdre certainly seems to die. And she's in an elevator by herself, uh, apparently. Um, she gets into the elevator. She's looking, you know, she pushes the button. Rowan's pushing the button. They're going to meet. Elevator opens. There's kind of like a, a moment. Rowan smiles widely. She recognizes her mother immediately. Mm-hmm. And then uh, also Deirdre's neck has been severed or, or slashed anyway. Yeah. Uh, and so leaving us to wonder how, 
How did this happen? Was it Aunt Car- Carlotta using her magic? Was it Lasher? But that doesn't seem to make sense because he's so devoted to these women, or it seems or, like he or is. Or was it Cortland? Or was it Cortland? Um, we have, and that's the like, thing. Or like, the Telemasca. I feel of... like there's at least three or four suspects. Right. Yeah. And we have a lot. I mean, the other piece of it is that, you know, poor Deidre doesn't have, you know, I think she is suspicious of her uncle. She's suspicious of Carlotta. She has to be. It's interesting that she's not as suspicious of Lasher, but like she keeps going to her uncle Cortland's house and, you know, um, while dark things have happened there, like he definitely drugged her with wine. We saw the the weird, uh, like the 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 sexual assault scene, and you know, I my guess is is that they had to get rid of Patrick because he knew some or all of whatever had happened to her. Um, and so Cortland doesn't have great motivations either. He's probably afraid she'll remember, um, some of that stuff. So it's interesting that she goes there. Um, despite the fact that like, I think she feels it's interesting cause she kind of, you know, every time she shows up, he's always like, Oh, I should have gotten you out of the clutches of your aunt Carlotta yet never did, even though he knew she was basically trapped there. So yeah, um, he is super suspect. Yeah. So there's like all this weird, like Deirdre does not have anybody that really is an ally. That I don't think she treats him nearly with the amount of skepticism that he deserves. You're right. Cause when he's like, I'll make up a room for you guys. And she's like, thanks. I'll totally stay here with you. Uh, And I'm like, no, I feel like she must have some accounts. Some of those, some of that good Mayfair money somewhere. Right. Like she should be able to be a little independent, but she has zero independence and it makes sense why. Right. So anyway, um, I just yeah. thought that that was interesting that and I do I do think she looks at him with some skepticism. So I don't think that it's all just that she trusts him, but she maybe needed a spot to go just for the moment, because obviously she needs more than a nightgown to run around in. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there is that she she does kind of she tells a story about how he used to give her dresses and he kind of is like, Oh yeah, again, I should have done something. And she's kind of like, yeah, you should have. Um, he also says, I, I, my daughter had a, my, that dress was my daughter's. And mm-hmm. then she's like, and you gave me dresses like this every year. And I'm like, Oh, that seems like a bit of a nod toward yep. you're her secret daughter. Yep. Um, so anyway, yeah. um, so there, there's like a lot of interesting things that I think they're going to uncover in the next few episodes. Um, and then, you know, the tragedy of, of Rowan not actually being able to, to see her, her birth mother is, um, or talk to her, just sees this horrible thing happen to her. I have to say the bodies are definitely polying up around Rowan. So God that this has happened to her mother and there's no evidence of anybody else around is probably gonna like play out but um oh well all the other people who died around her were in san francisco so it's probably fine um and also the fact that she's on her way to see cyprian so she hasn't even been able to see him to get some of the background of all of this so so we'll have to see how that plays out um along the lines but i'm sure lots will be uncovered was Um, she a surgeon in the novel Yes, she was. And it was exactly the same idea is that she has sort of an innate uh, skill because she can kind of picture things. She has an idea of how people are doing, which they imply a little bit like when she hugs her mother after her mother tells her that she's had the scans. Mm -hmm. She knows that her mom is dying um, because she has this skill. Um, She doesn't fully acknowledge it, but she definitely has it. Um, So there's that. I'll also say the production value of this whole thing. Again, it's like something you and I have talked about before, but the the production value of these television shows is so high. Um, This is a very lavish and beautiful and and uh, like I feel like they did a a gorgeous job of like, you know, setting up these this sort of both. like rich but dark family story. Yeah, I will um, say the so, the house on First Street is kind of how I imagined it. Yep, same, same. So that's kind of cool. If you've ever been to to New Orleans, um, like this is quintessential New Orleans. Like these, some of these, like, and then that's I mean, Aunt Anne Rice again in both the Vampire Chronicles and the in the Mayfair Witches um, books she really loved new Orleans and she lived there for many years. And so this is sort of in the, the very well-to-do garden district and those houses are absolutely gorgeous. And this is, this is exactly what I I pictured this house looking like. So, um, so that was kind of cool to see. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing a little bit more of this um, down the line, but um, yeah. So I think that's all I have to say about it. So we'll have to continue. 
Indeed. We will have to continue. So we'll uh, we'll do a couple more episodes the next time we get together. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds great. Wonderful. As we wait for June 18th, which is when City hey. the oh, Dead I thought City you were comes out. Say, I thought you were say May May 5th when uh, Silo comes out, but all Well, good. that too. That too. May, uh, yeah, I don't know that Silo really is it's not going to have any zombies in it. No, so. but it's a dystopian future. I think we should review it. Okay. All right, we can talk silo. You know, I want to watch it so badly. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's where we can leave it off for today. If you want to let us know what you thought of Mayfair Witches or this episode, these episodes, The Witching Hour and The Dark Place, give us a holler at Reanimated Podcast on Gmail. Wait, wait Reanimated Podcast at gmail.com or Reanimated PCAST on Twitter, unverified. And we are, uh, you can find all of our episodes on Podbean at reanimated.podbean.com or through the Podbean app. Uh, so let's, uh, let's connect. Yep. And until next time, ciao. Thanks for listening. Thank, thank you. And goodbye. <laughs>